Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, time for us to get started today with uh, with our Bible study. Um, we're in the book of Romans still, and uh, we're in chapter 13 today. We're going to look at the first seven verses of chapter 13. Um, and before we begin, before I even read the passage, um, I just want to want to set a little context um, that um, and I'm going to quote from from a writer named um J.C. O'Neill, he writes this in a book called Paul's Letter to the Romans uh, about these seven verses. He says, these seven verses have caused more unhappiness and misery in the Christian East and West than any other seven verses in the New Testament. (laughs) Right. So that sets the bar pretty high this morning um, for for the difficulty of our Bible study. But what I want to acknowledge to you this morning is that this is a really difficult passage. Um, and, And part of the reason is because um, this is a passage that deals with government and with civil authority and with its role in our lives. And Paul says some things that on the face of it are, um, are pretty stark and pretty declarative um, about our responsibility to civil authorities. And we just kind of want to tease that out a little bit this morning. Um, I'm going to tell you that, um, that I'm, I'm sharing with you kind of um, the position that I've come to on this after, you know, after study. And, uh, but I also want to acknowledge that there are um, pastors and scholars all over um, the world and all throughout the ages who have not agreed on uh, the, really the interpretation of these verses. And so there are, um, there are hot debates that are, um, that are kind of happening continually about this. And, and so, um, yeah, so it's a difficult passage. So first of all, let's read the first seven verses and then we'll kind of get into it. So Paul says, um, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but, but to bad. Um, would you have no fear of the one who is in, in authority? Question. Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Um, but if you do wrong, be afraid, uh, for he does not does not bear the sword in vain, for he is um, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out uh, God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore. Uh, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Um, for because of this, you also um, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Okay, so. Um, kind of a, again, a passage that seems to, you know, really kind of point at the idea that we're always to obey government and that there is, um, you know, Paul doesn't really list a whole lot of, um, 
exceptions. And so we're just going to kind of dig in. We're going to talk about this kind of on its face, um, point to a few other places in Scripture that that may help us to kind of understand all of what Paul's saying here, and really just kind of come back to to a you know to an understanding of you know our, our way to live to to live. Um, and and so first thing that we have to acknowledge is that this is really kind of a natural discussion for the church at Rome because. These are Christians that are trying to live and and trying to obey Christ um, in the epicenter of the the Roman world. Um, Also, there are a lot of these believers that are in the Roman church um, that are Jewish. And and the fact is that the history of the Jewish people was that they were notoriously resistant to any kind of outside authority. And and so the fact is that there's, there's a little bit of a just a kind of a rebellious streak that existed in uh, in the Jewish nation because because ultimately they just you know they believed they were God's chosen people and they didn't believe that they should live in subjection under any other rule and so Paul is speaking directly into the church at Rome where they're in the seat of government for the known world and they're made up of a lot of people who've come out of of a religious tradition who don't believe that they ought to to obey anyone except um, the people of you know of kind of of their faith and and of their ethnicity and and that they should they should have the right to rule themselves um, and not to submit to you know kind of any outside authority other than um, you know in other than the, that what you know which is Jewish and so you know several things just to kind of point out that I think are noteworthy. First thing is that Paul Paul starts this passage um, by really pointing to us and 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 really pointing out to us that um, submission to authority is ultimately rooted in our understanding of the sovereignty of God, the fact that God is sovereign, that God is ultimate, that God God is the ultimate ruler, and He is never not in charge of anything. Um, and so, you know, he he kind of sort of recalibrates our thinking for a little bit to say, look, the reason that we respond to civil authorities, the way that we respond to them is not primarily because we want to stay out of trouble. Um, it's not primarily because um, because we want to you know preserve the social order and we want to have a like a harmonious community or any of those things. Not that any of those things are bad. But what he's saying is like our primary motivation is ultimately that 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 we love God and and that Christ is our king and so therefore the way that we respond to government has to be filtered through uh, a worldview has to be filtered through an understanding that everything that we do and all that we are is ultimately responsive to Christ and and that that Jesus is um is our our king and i think that that we have to acknowledge also that the the, the real tension here comes because that's easy to believe when we're given rulers that are, are people of high moral character, like people that that do the right thing, that people that are, you know, that are rightly and purely motivated, that when we're in a society, not necessarily even Christian, but when we're in when we're in a condition in society where where we have where we have morally upright and 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 ultimately um good moral people with good moral values that are leading our society, it's it doesn't really put us under a whole lot of tension to to then like obey the law and to and to respect civil authority, even if they're not, 
you know, even if they're not following Christ, that's that's even more true, I think, when when they're Christians and they really align with us worldview, when we're being led and we're those who are, who are a part of civil government or Christians, we find it, you know, much easier to submit to their authority because we agree with them and because, you know, because most of the things that they're going to be doing are are in, a, in agreement with us. Um but the, the problem is when when we run up against civil authorities and, and those that are in positions of power who who don't follow Christ, who who aren't um, necessarily morally good or morally upright when when they have when they have moral positions and, and when they have moral convictions and, and even when they when they act in a morality um, that is, uh, you know, that is ultimately um, you know, something that we, you know, that, that we have a dissonance with that we don't, you know, we don't agree with. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, I think we look into the scriptures to understand that, that God has affirmed in other places through the scriptures, um, that, that for, for reasons that are his, he allows, um, rulers and authorities to to come into power and and that God allows them to be um, God allows them to be in a position of authority for his purposes. Um, you, you look in, in Exodus chapter 1916 um, where where God says to Pharaoh in you know in this um, in, in talking about Pharaoh you know ruling he says however I have let you live for this purpose to show my power and to make my name known um, in all the earth. And in other words, God, God is saying directly to Pharaoh, you have been, you've been allowed to be the ruler of Egypt, and you've been allowed to be the ruler of the people who have enslaved the people of God. And, and ultimately, um, you didn't do that outside of my sovereignty. You didn't do that apart from me. Ultimately, I'm the one, God's saying, that has allowed you to do that because ultimately the, the greater thing that God is up to is, is to have his name known among all the earth. And so, and so for God's purposes, he let Pharaoh live. He, he, he let Pharaoh be and he let him ascend to, you know, to the, um, you know, to the, to the throne of um, Egypt. Because there was a greater agenda, um, and and so you know, Paul actually quotes that back in chapter nine. We see in verse verse seventeen of chapter nine that Paul, you know, Paul actually goes back to this idea of Pharaoh being you know being allowed to rule or being the you know being the ruler, and the fact that that wasn't that wasn't because God was ignoring or it wasn't because God was inactive, and but it also wasn't that God was necessarily endorsing. Pharaoh, God was God was allowing Pharaoh for you know for his purposes, and I think that you know that causes some some you know dissonance for us. I think sometimes I think there's some wrestling to think about um, you know people like um, Adolf Hitler thinking about you know people like Muammar Gaddafi or Idi Amin or you know these these tyrannical leaders that have um, you know that 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 we've seen throughout history that have. That have come on the world scene and have and have led people and have led countries who are, um, you know, who are ultimately um, just despicable. 
like there's like there's really nothing commendable to be able to say, you know, about their rule. And and so um, but but what this ultimately means is Paul is pointing out to us that that under the sovereignty of God, they were they were allowed um, they were allowed to rule and they've been they've been allowed to be in the place that they are. Um, for the purposes of God, that God is up to up to accomplishing something, even um, in in the evil that those you know those regimes may um, you know may enact. I think you know part of the problem. I think in in if I'm just being honest with you, if I were alive and and were in the church in Rome and Paul had written this letter, um, I think after reading the first seven verses of chapter 13, I would want to write a letter back to him because the concern for me is not so much what Paul has said, because in principle, I think we probably all agree that, that this is, this is an overriding principle, but it's, but it's in the application of it. And it's in the questions that Paul doesn't answer that are, you know, that are the most difficult. Like, what do you, what do you do when a government is illegitimate? How do you, how do you respond to the fact that Paul has said that we're to respect authority, but what about when, when a government has become a government or, or, or a leader has become a leader because, you know, because they've cheated or because there's, you know, there's, there's been some subversive process or those kinds of things. Does, does that change how we approach it? What about, um, you know, what about the idea of rebellion? If there's an unjust or a tyrannical government, like what are the limits on God's people to, to stand up against and ultimately to, to rebel and to, to take down or to overthrow um, a government, which is, which is, is, you know, unjust at its core and ultimately tyrannical. Um, you know, are there limits about how far we should obey or that our that our obedience, is there more to the story than what Paul says here? Or just or is it exactly like he says it here in these seven verses that that we're just to always obey, you know, kind of unquestioningly unquestioningly. Um, you know, and and so I think I think the truth is that there are limits and, and there are things that we see that rise up out of the scriptures that help us to understand that it's not just always unquestioned obedience to to governments and to civil authorities. But but there but it's probably not good for us to start with thinking about what the limits are, let's let's really kind of start thinking about the 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 bigger issue and 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 what it is that Paul's trying to um, trying to communicate. So if you if you look in this passage, one of the words that Paul uses over and over and over is the word authority or authorities. He actually uses it six times in the passage. And there um, this is a little bit like you know, you've heard probably pastors say, you know, talking about when the word love is used in scripture, that there are lots of Greek words. There are at least, you know, four primary words that are that are used that are all translated love into English. Well, the word that that Paul uses here that's translated over and over and over again as as authorities, their authority, there are there are multiple words that mean authority. Um and and so the the word that Paul uses here um, is not the word for power. So um, so so the, the the this is this is not saying I believe that we are supposed to look at the government as always just an unquestioned power. And this is not about. Um, 
about government having the power and and we as the govern not having the power and and so that's kind of not the um you know not the the right way of looking at it the word that that paul uses is it actually means um very specifically delegated power so what paul's trying to communicate is is that the that the the rulers and 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 the government that that oversees and maintains civil authority for us that that those rulers are ultimately responsible to God because God has given them their power. That that rulers are legitimate because God gives them power, um, and they're accountable to Him for their exercise of it. And so, the measure of their legitimacy in some, you know, in in some great way is is according to the exercise of their power according to um, God's will and, and God's agenda. And so. Um, I think this really is kind of in the same vein as when, um, you know, when we see the instruction that not many should become teachers, um, that not many should aspire to become teachers, that, that there's this idea that that when when you accept the call to become a teacher, and, and Paul's talking about like teachers of scripture, but like when you accept the call to become a, a teacher of, of the word, that you set yourself up for a stricter judgment. Why? Because you're communicating on behalf of God as, you know, as a teacher. Um, and, and so, and so the fact is that God takes it very seriously about how we represent him and about, um, and about how, how we walk out those things that are, that are done on his behalf. And he's telling us that, that government only, uh, that government ultimately exists because it is doing something that it's ultimately doing on his behalf, which is, you know, creating a social order and, and ultimately, uh, you know, standing for peace and, and, and helping us to, to be able to have, um, you know, to have a, 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 a quiet and peaceable life. Um, and, and so, um, and so the first thing I, th- I think that, you know, that I would say there is, is that as we think about how we respond to government, the question that we ultimately have to, to wrestle with is how is government representing and ultimately um, how is it fulfilling its responsibility to God? And then how do we respond um, based upon um, government's exercise of its responsibility to God? I think the second thing that we kind of have to keep in mind from a, you know, from a, from a high level is that the, the gospel by its very nature is political. And I think sometimes in the church, we want to, we, we kind of want to go to, to one extreme or the other in, in how we think about that. And so we either want to run to the, the extreme where, where we think the, that the gospel is, is about everything political. And so it means that we're, like we're we're forcing the agenda of the gospel into into every you know into every arena that's political. I think on the other end of the spectrum is this idea that church and state should be separated, and so therefore the gospel has no really no political ramifications at all. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go with a little bit of a different way for you to think about that. So John John 18 37 and 38, um, the exchange between uh, between Jesus and and Pilate. Um, Pilate asked him. He says, "You are then king. You are you are a king then." Uh, and and Jesus replies, "You say that I'm a king. Um, I was born for this, and I've come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice." 
And then Pilate says, well, what is truth? And, and essentially, this is an exchange in which Jesus is affirming, yes, I'm the king. Um, and, that, and that there's a truth that supersedes the truth of your understanding of the world or politics or, or anything else. And so Jesus is affirming in this. And then what he goes on to say in, in John chapter 19, that he is the king. He is the only rightful, deserving king. Um, and, and ultimately, the gospel asserts the good news of the gospel is um, is that that we who are in Christ, who have followed Jesus, who have taken part in his sacrifice, that, that we are citizens of another kingdom and we are ultimately responsible to another king. And so the way we have to look at our responsibility to civil government is in light of who, who we are ultimately responsible to, um, and, and that our life is not defined by the political conversations or the, the political decisions of this world, and, and that while, while in, this, in, in this soup that we kind of swim in of this life, that, that there, are, there are people that want to make politics ultimate we as, as followers of Jesus have to, to stand up with our lives and declare that ultimately the, the, that, that our, like our sense of politics is different and it's, and it's greater because we belong to a heavenly kingdom. And so our response to an earthly kingdom is really only proper in light of our understanding of our place in, in a heavenly kingdom. And so ultimately, Jesus in chapter 19 goes on to basically tell Paul that, that his authority over Jesus was ultimately delegated by Jesus. That Paul wouldn't, that Pilate wouldn't have the opportunity to be able to say judgment over Jesus if Jesus hadn't granted him the opportunity to be able to do that. And we have to kind of see that. Um, as, as a guiding principle. And I think, I think ultimately what that sort of, sort of leads us to is a guiding principle of, of citizenship to say that Christians are to be the best citizens that we possibly can be because our response to civil authority is ultimately a testimony to the one who gives them their authority. And so, so our response to civil authorities is an act of worship, not because we buy into or, or, or we overly value or we esteem the government. It's because we ultimately believe and trust Jesus. And so we can, we can do the things that are necessary. So when, when we believe that, that, you know, that, that taxes are excessive and abusive, we still, um, we still submit. Why? Because, because we follow Jesus. And Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Um, when, when we believe that, um, that restrictions on the speed limit are ridiculous and we should be able to drive faster in places, we ultimately as Christians say we submit to the civil authority. Why? Because, because God put that civil authority in place to, to create order. And no matter what we think, we think more of God than what we think. Um, 
and and so and what we think on our own and so and so therefore we are like christians should be model citizens within the expectations of civil government um because because ultimately we're doing what we do not in response to our love for government we're doing it doing it in response not in response to our love for our country we're doing it in response to our our love for god and we want to do it with a zeal that ultimately reflects how much we how much we love god so then, does that mean that we're supposed to lie down in the face of evil? Um, no, <laughs> but but I think what it what it does mean is that that first and foremost, the the greatest tool of of a of a believer is that we're we're to speak boldly in the face of injustice, and and we're supposed to warn of the internal the eternal consequences of of what that ignoring does. And so I think before we go to places where we're drawn to take action, where we're drawn to, you know, to overthrow a government, where we're drawn to act in civil disobedience or, or those kinds of things, that the truth is that before we go to those places, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be very prophetic in the way that we speak into our culture to say that is not reflective of God. And there's a cost for that. That, that if we continue to do these things and, and if our, our leaders continue to, to lead us in directions that are, that are disobedient to God and ultimately not honoring to God, they're, they're dishonoring the trust that God has given them, and ultimately they will face judgment for those things that they do. And, and, so, and, you know, and so, again, like the story of Pharaoh is that Pharaoh was used by God in the place that he was. He was allowed by God to rule, and ultimately he suffered the consequences um, of being one who was apart from God um, eternally, um, but then also to some degree in, you know, in, in the instance. So, um, so then, you know, we get into this muddy water, I think, this question of about like how absolute does our obedience have to be? Well, um, I think we can sort of look into what Jesus said in Matthew 22 as a way of, you know, maybe being able to at least start that conversation. And then I'm going to give you kind of a mental structure to maybe think about about the way you walk it out. So, um, so a, a, a group of um, Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, tell us, uh, therefore, what, what you think, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Um, but perceiving their malice, Jesus said, why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin that is used for, for the tax. So they brought him a denarius whose image and inscription is on this, he asked them. Caesar's, they said to him. And then he said to them, therefore, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and they went away. And, and so ultimately, there's, there's this pattern that even Jesus lays down to say that, that there are things that are creations of the government, there are things that are conditions of government, there are things that are, that are, that are, that are orchestrated by government that, that really ultimately belong to them, and in those places, you know, behave and obey them. But ultimately, um, our, you know, our call is to is ultimately to obey God. And so I think there, there are kind of four options logically that sort of rise up out of that is that, that first we can, we can say that our, you know, our ethic for living is that we're going to obey God alone, always, um, without regard for what the government says about anything. Uh, I think the second thing is that we can say, well, we're going to obey the government <laughs> without question, um, 
because because ultimately, and and maybe even point to a passage like this one in in Romans thirteen, where we say, well, God said to obey the government in every regard, and that every government is established by Him, and so therefore there are no limits to that, and so we're going to always obey Caesar. Um, the the third position is to to obey both. Um, God and government, but to put government in the dominant position to say that ultimately we, you know, we're going to respect the laws of our nation and we're going to like, we're going to follow that. And then ultimately kind of the fourth um, position is to say that we're, we're going to obey both God and government, but, but that God is going to be in the dominant position. And, and so I, you know, I think that that ultimately, although these verses kind of on their face look like they they sort of present this idea of of always obeying government, I think the truth is that the overriding ethic for us is that that we're to obey God and government, um, but we're but we're always to keep God in the dominant position. And so and so when government and God come into conflict, our our ultimate standard for obedience is God. And so, um, so we are, as Christians, we're the best citizens when, when we work to hold up the laws that are, that are given to us by our government consistently. Um, but, and I'm going to quote from, from James, um, uh, James Montgomery Boyce here, but Christians should be the very best citizen, but, but Christians should be the very best of citizens by opposing the state verbally and by acts of noncompliance whenever the government strays from its legitimate God-given function or transgresses the moral law of God. And so I think in those places where, where government places us in a position where we have to, uh, we, we have to, to unabashedly stand against the, the, the moral um, obligation or like the, the moral code that God has has given the the law that God has given we we ultimately have to stand for uh, we ultimately have to stand for the Lord and and when um, when ultimately the the when the state strays from its God-given function how, like what would an example of that be if the government told us that we had to worship something or or that we had to we had to not worship something um, if if the government told like if the government put constraints upon um, upon the uh, what we worship or how we worship, then I think that that is a, that would be a condition. And so, you know, and and that and that ultimately, I think Boyce is right that our first line of action is is that we use words that we that we speak the truth and and that we like we speak on behalf of God speaking the truth that the government is standing in opposition to God and ultimately the God, the government is you know is is placing itself in a position which ultimately will be judged by God i think that but 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 we're free to resist and we're free to disobey and 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 in in the most extreme cases we're even free to rebel when necessary in order for us to be able to continue our obedience to God and so you know what like what are some examples of of commands of the state that we you know that like we can't 
like things the state can't rightly command us to do. Well, to not evangelize, to not tell people the gospel. If the state is telling us that we can't share the gospel, the state is ultimately telling us something that's unjust and it's a, it, it's it, it's absolutely directly against the revealed will of God. Um, the state can't tell us to do, you know, to do immoral things or to commit, um, you know, non-Christian acts. And so the, 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 you know, the state can't, you know, can't tell us that, um, you know, that, that for instance, we are, um, that, that, you know, that, that living in a monogamous relationship is, is somehow illegal because, because we know that that marriage is to be between one man and one woman, and so ultimately we are, you know, we're to stand in, um, in, in to resist and to stand in disobedience to that. It, it's you know the state can't command us ultimately not to act in you know in places of civil disobedience where we see the law in 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 contrast to those things that that are. Um, you know that that are that are upheld and affirmed by the scriptures. We ultimately, you know, in the most in, in in extreme cases, we ultimately can be in a place where we say, on on the behalf of our faith, we're going to reject that. That's you know, right now, even in the thing that we've been walking through with you know with the vaccine mandates. Regardless of how you feel about that, there are there are people that for for religious convictions do not want to take the vaccine, and our government right now is saying that there's no religious exclusion um, to 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 taking the vaccine. That the vaccine mandates would be universal, and that there's no religious exception. Well, it it would be a totally valid thing if you believe because of those things that are, you know, that are a part of your faith and the reveal will of God that you, that you're not going to do that. It's ultimately, it's ultimately permissible before God for you not to do that. Um, even when we know that not doing that is going to, is going to cause us um, to face punishment, um, to cause us to, to face consequences. And those consequences are not indicative of the fact that ultimately we're, you know, we're wrong, um, in the eyes of God. And so the last thing I'll, I'll point out um, today, and I probably have just like really confused you and talked all over the place, um, but this is a really difficult subject. But I think the other difficulty that we have in, in our um, interpreting of Romans 13 verses one through seven is that this was written into a world where the people had no say in their own governance. Um and so I think even in in a in a country um, that is that is a a, a constitutional democracy, um, we participate in our own governance and 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 through the right to vote, um, we are ultimately you know our government and and I think that does frame things a bit differently about our political activity and about our need to be able to advocate for positions that are that are ultimately in keeping with um with you know with God's standard and the fact is that that we should we should be free to seek places of service and to help others seek places of service in order to see our government more reflect the heart of God. Why? Because we believe that our government is ultimately allowed to exist because of God, and that they are ultimately responsible to God. And so, and and so, sometimes I think we, you know, we see Christians that are that are wanting to like just 
forget about the political process and not be involved in, in those conversations or those things that go on in our nation. And I think it's important for Christians to be involved ultimately because of the responsibility that God um, delegates to civil authorities. And when we have the opportunity to participate in that, we, we should do everything that we can um, to see that ultimately that, that God and, and his, um, his laws are, are being upheld and respected through the people that we place into positions of authority. And so um, really thankful uh, for you today. We're gonna, I'm going to turn it over uh, to somebody in, uh, in, in Birmingham to um, take prayer requests today. And, uh, and, and I hope you have a great day. And if you have questions about this, reach out. Like, let's continue the conversation. I'll tell you, I don't feel like I have this at all figured out um, completely either. And I, and I think it is, it is difficult and confusing. Uh, but the thing that we can rest in is the fact that God is on his throne and that hasn't changed. And that ultimately, he rules and reigns over over everything in our lives and everything around us. And so um, I hope you have a great uh, beginning to your week and, and let's take some prayer requests. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.